My brother Eric is a dear friend. Met him years back. Well, when he first went on there, I say years, it's not been that long ago. First time I met Brother Tharp, I was preaching for Brother Jack Treber at North Valley. And uh, Brother Tharp had just come on, had not been on long there at the church. And he and I just hit it off. And uh, just everywhere I was preaching that week on the campus, Brother Tharp would show up, sneak in, listen. And, and uh, then when he took the church down in South Carolina Trident, uh, he called me and he said, would you come preach the installation service, which I counted that as a great honor. And so love, love Brother Tharp, but through that got to meet Brother Rich and he had told me about him. I knew about him long before I ever met him. And uh, just, uh, just thank God for your pastor. Y'all got a great pastor and pastor's wife. And, and uh, I don't want, no, you don't have to feel sorry. This, I'm not saying this for a feel sorry moment, but our family the last couple months has been through it. And I'm going to tell you, uh, my dad, we found out in December, well, Dr. Wood, the founder, president of Operation Go, passed away in December unexpectedly, very, wasn't expecting it at all, very suddenly. Uh, we had talked an hour that morning. He rode his bike 12 miles that morning, worked out. That's like at 4.35 in the morning. He had gone through uh, his day. He and I had talked multiple times, and that night he had a massive heart attack at 81 years old in perfect health. I mean, just a picture of health. And uh, wasn't expecting that. Around the same time, found out my dad uh, was diagnosed with cancer and then found out it was terminal. And they said uh, maybe a year, maybe a longer, then slowly started dialing that back. I said all that, and then my dad passed away here about a month ago and uh, went to be with the Lord. And I said all that, not for you to feel sorry for me, but to say I have been <clears throat> praying and following your pastor and his wife through their journey and they have been a great encouragement. And I just want to say thank you. You know, it's one thing to shout your faith on the mountain. It's another thing to shout your faith and show your joy when you're in a dark trial. And your pastor has proven what's on the inside and his wife has proven what's the inside. And they have been an encouragement uh, from a distance as my wife and I have prayed much for them and, and watched their journey and uh, it's just, uh, just, just been a great encouragement to us. And uh, so well, I'm thrilled to be here looking forward to the week. I prayed way in advance asking God for wisdom and guidance to what He wanted said. And I believe tonight I know what the Lord wants done. I am president of Operation Go. I was slated to become president in January. Regardless of what had happened to Brother Wood, he was going to be president emeritus. I do need prayer. We thought he would have two more years to kind of help on the fundraising end of what we do, and that has not took place, and uh, we're just trusting the Lord, and the ministry is way bigger than me. It's greater than I, but it's not greater than God, and I know he's given us a lot of grace. Uh, one of the first things I did when I become president, and I had told Brother Wood I would be doing it, Brother Wood was an evangelist for 40 plus years, actually started his ministry in Michigan, outside of Holland, Michigan, and Grand Rapids, and and uh, uh, and just as an evangelist, he got burdened for what we're talking about, missions, and preached in other countries and got burdened. And so through that, he started the Witness Project, and David Wood Ministries kind of got started, but it was still just an evangelist. And when he quit pastoring, he joined a church, and the ministry was with the church. But really in the last five years, uh, David Wood Ministries, and then when I come on, we changed the name to Operation Go International, the soul winning program that we uh, the Brother Wood adapted years ago was called Operation Go, and I wanted a name that would forever enshrine him, and it does that. If you know Operation Go, you know Brother Wood, and if you knew David Wood, you knew Operation Go, so it just kind of went together. But uh, the ministry in the last five years outgrew just an evangelist being a member of a church, and really it become kind of a parachurch organization without Brother Wood ever really meaning for it to, if that makes sense. So as a pastor, I remember when he first come to my church, and and, and I told him, uh, he said, I, I want you to support me. And I said, well, I can't support you personally because our missions rules is we support ministries that are under the authority of a church and, um, and, and that have, have that extra authority. I just believe everything that God does, he does through a church. Amen. 
And so we pray, and that's not knocking any other ministry, and, and regardless of what other ministries were, when I come on, I told Brother Wood, I said, Brother Wood, we've got bigger than you just saying, well, I'm a member of a church, therefore the ministry is. So when I become president, the first thing we did was uh, Brother J.D. Howell is my pastor, and uh, I will take some sympathy cards and grievances for that, and uh, <clears throat> feel free to tell him that. I love my pastor, but we were best friends before we were uh, before I ever joined this church and when we knew it was the Lord's will, when I stepped down from pastoring to move and come up here, one of the first things I asked him was, J.D., is it going to affect our friendship? And he said, none in the least, please don't quit messing with me. I haven't and he hasn't. Amen. And, uh, but I love my pastor, love my church, but he is now on the executive board. He has veto right. We do have an executive board that we work through. And, uh, but uh, J.D. is on that board. The difference is if everyone else voted yes and he votes no, we're going with his vote as pastor of the church. And uh, so we are a ministry of First Baptist Church of Bridgeport, uh, Operation Go Is, and I'm excited about that. We just bought a building half a mile from the church, the old independent bank that was there on the corner. Brother Wilson, you've probably seen it. Uh, we purchased that there about a month ago and uh, be remodeling it. And I do want to say it's good to see Brother Aaron. If you don't know his camp, um, I travel the country. I have preached in many of them. I don't know of a better one than Brother Aaron's. It is first-class facilities. He really takes patience. I've stayed at some that I thought, Lord, I know you called me to do this, but I'd just soon be back in the jungle of Papua New Guinea as I would staying in this thing. And uh, you do not feel that way at his camp. Great camp, great heart for God. I never hear him talk that he doesn't make a statement uh, that, that doesn't always challenge me. He made one just in his brief presentation. I don't know if it was talking or on the video, but he said the enemy is the same, but the solution is the same. And boy, that's the truth, amen. It hadn't changed with missions. You could apply that to any area. So I love him and his family. His boys just keep getting bigger. I seen his boy and I said, what is he feeding you up there? He said, everything. <laughs> Thought that was a good response. And then let me respond to the Cubs statement. The only way that I can tell you, Brother Aaron, that I have that much tolerance, patience, and dedication is I'm also a Bears fan. And the only way I could show you my more dedication would be if I was a Detroit Lions fan, which I am, I am not, okay? So uh, I've been a Cubs fan and a Bears fan since I was a little kid, and it's been some tough years, but the Cubs have had at least some moments of, of brilliance uh, not so much with the Bears, but I'm still a Bears. And if, if, that, if, if NFL offends you, please forgive me. I don't mean to do that, uh, but I just, I just I like sports. I don't have hobbies. I don't do a lot of habits, and I, just, I like to watch a good game now and then. I love seeing guys tackle each other, beat up on each other. It's, just, it's a man thing. I, I don't know how else to tell it. And what I love is my wife will watch it with me, which makes it even better. And so thank you so much, church, for allowing us to be here. Do pray for Operation Go. What I can tell you is, is uh, we have got a lot of work done. We've got a lot of work to do. We're in, uh, this year we will surpass over 100 countries that we operate in and work in. Uh, we are really strategizing in Africa right now and uh, Papua New Guinea, Southeast Asia. We're in phase four of what we're doing in India in the last six months, our ministry has personally been responsible for over 7,000 churches being planted. Many of them are house churches, but over 7,000 churches being planted. And by August rolling around, we'll be over 11,000 churches that have been planted with Operation Go's help. And, um, and you say, what is Operation Go? We train and equip Christians, preachers, individuals in soul winning and church planning. And there's a word that you don't hear a whole lot anymore, but we're going to see that you can't separate missions from soul winning. You can't separate a missionary from soul winning. Uh, we pa I pastored a great church. We had a heart for missions. We had missions. We took on a minimum of 10 missionaries every year by the grace of God, not saying you have to do that. I went from a missions budget when I was there, when I took the church with uh, about two, $300 coming in a month for missions, uh, to when I left, it was over 200 something thousand dollars a year that our church gave to missions. We had no millionaires, just everyday people that gave and trusted the Lord. And we've seen God do a great thing. And, and, uh, but one of the first questions I ask missionaries is, when's the last time you won someone to Christ? 
How can we expect someone to go to the world and start a church and win people if they're not even doing it over here? Amen. And you would be shocked the answers I got. I had one missionary uh, and from a very reputable church that answered all the questions right and we were eating lunch and I said, brother, just tell me something. When's the last time you won someone to Christ personally? Not at the church, not at an altar. He said, I've never won anyone personally. That ought to trouble us. But that ought to trouble us not just for missionaries and pastors and evangelists. That ought to trouble us as Christians. So I ask you, when's the last time you won someone to Christ? Well, preacher, you know, I don't believe. I just, there's, some, there's three terms, and you can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to lay a foundation tonight, and I will watch my time. I don't want to wear you out. And, uh, but let me say that uh, I want to lay a foundation, and uh, there's three terms that are killing us in in, in this area of soul winning and seeing God do a work in the church, number one is, is Reformed theology. Reformed theology, is to, it, it's made a resurgence with great men that make some great statements. They're educated men. They're, they're men of, that, that put a lot of time and effort to the Lord. I think many of them are, uh, love the Lord, but Reformed theology has killed us. And you say, what is Reformed theology? It is putting the, all the work on God's part in this matter of salvation. Now, no one gets saved that God is not involved, and your pastor said it so eloquently that the Word of God is not involved in some form or fashion. Amen. You've got to have the seed of the Word, whether it be through preaching, whether it be through a track or some form or fashion. But, and I don't have time to get into Reformed theology, but it has made a resurgence, and so people make statements like, well, if you're not convicted, you can't be saved. Well, let's define conviction biblically, not by man's terms. I've got a great preacher friend that pastors a great church, and Brother Tharp knows him well. I introduced him and Brother uh, Tharp down in South Carolina together. They become great friends, but he said, you, no one has ever read the Bible and walked away being a Calvinist. I think that's a great statement. You will never read the Bible and walk away that God has destined some people for hell and some for heaven and that, that God has to do something first before we can uh, come to Him. He said if we come to Him, He will in no wise cast us out. Amen? The Bible said, for God so loved the world, He initiated salvation when He died upon the cross for our sin. And I'm thankful that He did that tonight. And so uh, the, the Reformed theology is destroying churches in our day, in my opinion. Secondly, this term uh, uh, lifestyle evangelism, it's destroying, winning people to Christ. This idea that we don't have to say anything, just be a witness. Now please understand, we ought to be a witness. We ought to live it, we ought to be kind. You know, independent Baptists are known for having the truth and being hateful with it. We ought to get rid of all the hatefulness and the arrogance, and, but, but, but we can't back off from the truth. But listen, this idea that we just live it and show people and they'll just come flocking in. Well, Jesus gave a great parable, and he said that a man had prepared a feast, and he told his servants, and he is uh, the master of the house, is a type of Christ, and he said, now go and invite people to my feast. And he did, and you know this parable very well. And they went out, and some had excuses here and there, and the Bible said there was still room, and he said, well, go out and invite others, and there was still room, and he said, go in the highways and hedges and compel them to come to my house. And... What was he doing? He was saying, go invite and get someone to come. We, we ought to live it. We ought to be testimonies. We ought to thank God uh, for that. But your testimony is not going to win everyone. You're going to have to tell somebody. Amen? And so uh, I'm just saying we, uh, part of Reformed theology, listen to me, I've made this statement, and, and I believe with all my heart you do not educate a sinner into salvation. You give them the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, does the work. And I, and I don't have time to deal with all that, but, but I'm just saying that Reformed theology and then lifestyle evangelism, these terms are destroying us, and what it's done is it's made us lazy because it puts no responsibility on me to do anything. I don't have to give. I don't have to go because God will do what He wants to do. 
I had a man tell me, a good man in a good church just recently that I was preaching, and he said, you know, I can pray, but at the end of the day, God's going to do what he wants, so it don't matter about my prayer. That's Reformed theology. And I looked at that dear brother, and I said, brother, biblically, can I give you a story? He said, yes, sir. I said, now understand, God is sovereign. God is, has all foreknowledge, so God knows the end result. I understand that. But God knowing the end result doesn't mean the end result wasn't dependent upon something that I've done. Hezekiah, get your house in order. Hezekiah, you're going to die. Hezekiah prays and begs God and says, God, I've lived for you. I've served you, and I don't want to die, and I want to live longer. And the man of God comes back to Hezekiah and says, hey, God heard your prayer. He's going to give you 15 more years. Now, I believe that was the worst prayer of Hezekiah's life because in that 15 years, Manasseh comes about. He'd have been better off trusting God. But at the end of the day, God knew when Hezekiah was going to die, but God allowed Hezekiah's prayer to adjust what the end result was going to be. If if we cannot see God work, then what's the point in praying? See, Reformed theology strips us of so many Bible doctrines. And then this lifestyle evangelism strips us of all responsibility of witnessing and missions and going and telling. And then the third thing is inspection evangelism. This idea that if they really got saved, they'll be in church next Sunday. If they really got saved, then they'll look like I do right now that took me 30 plus years to get to where I'm at. Can I tell you, God gave us, the Bible's the best commentary on the Bible, and the Bible gave us the greatest illustration for salvation, and God said, when you're saved, you're like a baby. You're an infant. Is that not what he said? Now, I've been blessed with nine children. Some days I feel blessed with nine children. (laughs) And my wife has birthed all nine of those children, and... All nine of them come out, and when they came out, you want to know what they knew? Nothing. They knew how to eat, sleep. They knew how to be selfish. They didn't care that she hadn't had sleep in days. If they wanted to eat, they wanted to eat. They didn't care that I'd worked all day and come home and and they screamed. They, they, They did what they wanted. They made messes. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Now, that's not my illustration. That's the illustration Jesus Christ gave us for new converts. God said they're like babies. We've raised a generation, Pastor, that, that, that there's now we're in generations that's never been to church. I'm talking about in Michigan, one day in, the, in, in a place that Dr. Tom Malone, I believe, had as great influence in this section as, as um, well, I just want Jay Harrell, I'm sorry, that Dr. Seitler had in the South. I believe Tom Malone got just a great influence. But there's people I meet in Michigan that has never gone to church one time and they've never put their kids in church one time. So they trust Christ. They don't know the Baptist Creed. They don't know that they're to get baptized immediately. And sometimes baptism is a big deal for people because of past religious experiences. It may take some time. They don't know that they're supposed to cut their hair immediately or they're supposed to wear this or not wear this or not drink this or not smoke this or not do this or not. And we've put all these, and I'm not saying all that's wrong. What I'm saying is, is that the gospel stands apart from any work that you and I can do. And it is an act of grace and mercy on the part of God. And I am to believe and receive it. And that's all the part I have in it. Thank God for that. Amen. And and a true missions-minded individual in church is ones that understand that because someone gets saved doesn't mean that they're immediately going to know what they're supposed to do. That's why God puts the Holy Ghost. We sang about the comforter coming. Your pastor again, not knowing what I was preaching, laid the foundation very great. Holy ghost comes on the inside but let me ask you something has God dealt with you about anything in the last week some of you have been saved a long time God dealt with me about something this week and 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 I mean I didn't even realize it was a problem till this week little little things I'm not talking about nothing big you understand what I'm saying we're constantly growing and because we think we've got our list doesn't mean God has the list 
Now, does that mean all sins are equal? No. God says there's lesser sins, greater sins. Jesus said that. You'll, you'll commit a great... I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing all that. What I'm saying is if we get away from the Word... You know what? This Bible is so sim- simple. If we allow the Spirit of God to guide and lead us. Yet it's so profound, we'll never figure it out without the help of the Spirit of God. We have a book that gives us all the answers. In Matthew chapter 28, I know you know these verses, but let's look at them. In verse number 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Boy, there's there's a message there. They worshipped Him, but some doubted. You know, I've worshipped God in doubt. I've had faith and yet doubted. God said if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed. Basically, can I just tell you this? As long as my faith is 51% and my doubt is 49%, I'm okay. Just trust God a little more than you do all those things that's wanting you to not trust Him. We got this idea sometimes if I have faith, there'll be no fear, no questions, no apprehensions. I was talking, so I led someone to the Lord just last week and a very important person to me. And when I was talking to them, they said, I understand, I agree with everything you say. But Brian, they said, do you ever have doubts that there's God or that this Bible is real and all that? I said, oh yeah. I said, the devil tries to slip them in even now. Have you ever just been walking or mowing or whatever it is you do and just out of the blue... Man, what if all this ain't even real? Oh, some of y'all, hey, look, take the halos and angel wings. Let's just hang them on the coat racks, okay? Because we're all human. Hey, listen, and those thoughts come into our mind. I've had them. But immediately, I just say, you know what, that's dumb. I've seen God do this. I know what God's done here. I know what the Lord, and, and I'm able to set aside those doubts, and my faith overrides my doubts. This week, God's going to challenge you. God's going to push you out of your comfort zone, maybe in giving, maybe in going. As your pastor said, you're either going or giving. You've got to be involved somehow. And the Lord's going to push you out of your comfort zone, and He's going to want maybe you to do a little bit more, and and you're going to be scared, and what about this, and what about that? I'm not telling you all of those fears are going to go away, but what I am telling you is with the Holy Ghost, you can have a little more faith then you do all those doubts and fears and you can worship and you can work and you can walk and you can witness and you can win people. And then in verse number 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I want to look at the Great Commission tonight. Maybe just to title a fresh look at the Great Commission and just very quickly, give me a few minutes. I'm going to run fast, I'll talk fast, you listen fast, and then we can go eat slow, okay? Sound good? Let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, I love you, and I pray you help me tonight. Thank you for this church. God, it has been such an inspiration as I have followed them, Lord, followed their pastor. His uh, uh, Facebook comments have never, Lord, caused me to want to criticize or question my Lord. It's caused me to want to be a better Christian, and I think that's what you can do with social media. And Lord, then his giving glory to God and many of the trials and troubles that him and his wife have faced, and I just thank you. Lord, for being able to know this pastor and, and Lord, be encouraged by him, though we don't talk that often. Thank you, Lord, for this church and their support and their love for missions and their love for, for you and for sinners. And God, I pray you help me this week. I, I have nothing to offer outside of the Spirit of God guiding and directing me. So use me in spite of me. Touch every missionary that will be through here. Thank you for Brother Wilson and Camp Kobiak. God, my children have gotten help many times over in that ministry, and I love it. And I'm thankful for it, and I'm thankful for Brother Wilson and his family and the testimony they have. Bless him, Lord, and give him, uh, Lord, the best year he's ever had this year. And may more souls be saved and lives changed than ever before there through the camp. 
I pray for all the works that will be presented this week. Help me now to preach in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I won't turn there, but Luke 19.10, Jesus makes a, a statement that is very important. Here's what he says. He said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now I want to say that again. The Son of Man, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Would you not say tonight that that would be the purpose or mission of Jesus Christ when He come to this earth? Okay, That would be His purpose statement. If I can put it this way, His mission statement, the whole reason He come. He didn't come to die for His sin. He had none. He didn't come to fix something between him and God. There was no problem between him and God. He didn't come to gain anything. He had it all. He come to seek and to save that which was lost. The angel told his parents, you'll, name, you'll call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Now, if that's the mission statement, I want to ask you tonight, should you and I make it our purpose to do what was his purpose? And I think the answer is obviously yes. Now there's two ministry words in that verse. Seek and save. Jesus did all the saving on Mount Calvary, did he not? When he died upon the cross, and the Bible said in Hebrews 9, by his, when he died and he took that last breath, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Hebrews 9 said, by his eternal spirit, he offered himself without spot to God. The Holy Ghost took the blood of Christ, presented it to the Father. I don't believe he waited three days and three nights for the blood to be presented because that would have broke every type in the Old Testament. When the animal was killed, the blood was gathered in the basin, and it was sprinkled upon the mercy seat and the blood was taken to the father the body is hanging on the cross by the bible says that his soul goes down to paradise and jesus prophetically in psalm said thou shalt not leave my soul in hell talking about that paradise portion and i don't have time to get into all that tonight but i'm saying that jesus when he rose again the full gospel has then been presented the death the burial and the resurrection of jesus christ so the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He did all the saving. So who's to do the seeking? If there's a weakness in that statement, and His purpose and His mission ought to be my mission and my purpose, then where's the weakness? Well, it's not on the saving part. He still does all the saving. I can save nobody. But I'm to do the seeking. And the weakness in that statement is on you and I, is it not? So God says to us in Matthew, and really it goes deeper than Matthew. If we can back off just a moment, I talked about a fresh look at the at the what we call the Great Commission. You understand tonight, and in a Bible preaching church, and your pastor is a great preacher. I've gone online and listened to him. I've got to hear him in person. I love the way he expounds the Word of God and. The Word of God is prevalent and preeminent in His preaching. And, and I know He knows this and has probably taught you but, and no doubt taught you, but we understand the Great Commission is not just in Matthew. The Great Commission is comprised of five key times that Jesus talks to His apostles and disciples after the resurrection. Now, He probably talked to them many more times, but Scripture records five times after He arises that He meets with them and He instructs them and He teaches them. Now, we're going to look at them very quickly in chronological order because I think it's important as we start a missions meeting to understand the Great Commission. But let me say this, that if, if we're not careful, we'll get our idea our ideas off of what we think instead of what the Word of God says, number one. And number two, Jesus uh, speaks to them and He talks to them and He tells them some things. And when you put all of those five key areas together, it's what we call the Great Commission. Now, I want you to think on this, look it up later, and you'll find it to be so. Before He died, you will not find Him giving the Great Commission one time. I found that very interesting as I studied. And after he dies, all five key times, the Great Commission is what he's talking about. Why is that important? Well, till he died, his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. 
But now that he's died, he said, he told him there in John, when I leave, I'm going to go, but I'm going to give you a comforter and he's going to come. Well, aren't you glad for the Holy Ghost that we sang about tonight? So let's look at these in chronological order. Not in the order they appear in Scripture, but time-wise from the first time after he arises that he meets with them to the last. And there's something interesting because what I want you to understand, and I know this is a Bible-believing church, when Jesus arose, how many days did he hang around? Anyone remember? Forty. Forty days. Now I want to ask you, don't answer it out loud, but why? He had already pastor, seek, he's already done everything he needs to do for salvation was done when he arose. No other work had, he said it's finished, teletelestai in the Greek. It's, it's been done. So why do you hang around 40 days? Jesus doesn't do anything just to do it. So why did he, why did he purposely stay for 40 days and every time he's talking that, that is recorded, it's always centered around what we're to do as the church. You understand that the Great Commission is given to the church. Who's the church? We are. I am. You are. This body is. It's not just the pastors or the mission. It's all of us. So this Great Commission is given to you and I. Now somewhere along the way, we got the idea that the Great Commission is the Great Suggestion. That we're just to do the best we can, but we're never going to fulfill it. It's kind of like the ASVAB test that the military used to, I don't know if they make them take it anymore, but when you took the ASVAB test, it was not designed for you to be able to finish. And it was not designed for you to be able to get a perfect score. It was designed on purpose for there to be way too many things for you to ever get it all right. It was designed that way. And I think sometimes we have the idea that the Great Commission was given, but we're just to take a stab at it, but we know up front it's, we're, we're never going to be able to get it done. Now i got some questions with that. Why would God give us a commandment that could not be fulfilled? And why would God give us a commandment that could not be fulfilled by the individual people that He gave it to? Who did He give the Great Commission to? Brian Treadway, Rich Zawatsky, Aaron Wilson, but He also gave it to every member. At this church, why would he give me a, 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 a command that I could not personally fulfill? The answer is he didn't. Okay? So stay with me for a moment. Let's look at the 40 days that he's there. What's he teaching them? Well, notice the first time he shows up is in the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 20 and verse number 21... John 20 and verse number 21, he says unto them, he, of course he says, he shows up in the upper room, they're locked behind the door, they're scared to death. And in John 20, 21, he says unto them, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And I got to get to the right chapter there. I'm quoting it from memory. He said, peace be, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Can I tell you what's he saying there? The first time he shows up, he says, you, ain't, you don't have to be fearful. You do not have to be afraid. But he gives them a command. He commissions them. He says, it's been my purpose. I come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was my father's commandment. And he said, all that my father bid me to do, I did. But he shows up to them. And the first time he shows up, he says, as the Father sent me, I'm now putting that same commission on you. It is your job to go seek and save that which was lost. It's your job to win the world. Why do we have missions conferences? Why did the pastor say this is the most important week of your life? Because God's command to Brian Treadway and every individual Christian is as he was, as Jesus was commanded, I'm commanded. As the Father sent me, so send I you. We have been commissioned. And then the second time he shows up to them is in the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke chapter number 24, in verses 46 and 47, I won't take the time to 
read all the other verses, but in Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, he says unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. So he starts out the first time he shows up, and he encourages them, but he commissions them, do not be fearful, get some peace in your heart, and understand that as the Father sent me, so send I you. The next time we find the Holy Ghost recording what Jesus said to them, he says to them, hey, here's the message that you're going to take. You've, been, you've got a mission, but here's the message. And the message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, every missionary, every church, every Christian, we ought to have one message that we're giving to the world, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to fix the LGBTQ, ABCDEFG issue? Get someone the gospel. You want to fix the abortion issue? Just give someone the gospel. You want to fix the political damage of our day? Give someone the gospel. We need Christians that will understand that the commission that we're to do what Jesus did. Jesus didn't get in the political debates of his day. Jesus didn't deal with the, the politics and he didn't deal with the controversial issues of his day every time they tried to get him to do it. He said, I'm not going to get involved with that. I'm here so that you can have life and that you can have it more abundantly. And Christian, we can learn something in a day where we've got more access to news and media and everything else. The world, the devil's trying to suck us in on every day debate and every disagreement and fight every doctrine. Can I tell you as a child of God, we have hope. Uh, Brother Aaron did a great job with them four words. You want to know what the answer is for those four words? It's Jesus Christ. It's not even the Baptist church. It's not my theology. It's Jesus theology. It's the gospel. We have the message the world needs. We need to be sending men with that message. But we need to be giving it to our neighbor. We need to be telling it to everybody. Jesus said, your mission is as the Father sent me, I sent you. But the message is the gospel. Christian, we ought to never get away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now understand, when you make these statements, people say, well, what? I'm not talking about a pastor training and teaching his people. I'm talking about lost people. I'm talking about the world. The only way we're going to win them, you do not educate a sinner into salvation. You give them the gospel. The gospel is what's going to work, folks. Debating with a Mormon or a Catholic about all the reasons their, their doctrine's wrong ain't going to ever win them. You know what's going to win them? Just give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got saved out of the church of Christ. The Church of Christ teaches they're the only ones going to heaven. You have to be baptized to, be, uh, to go to heaven. And if you're not baptized, you're not going to heaven. And they got a lot of other things. And they don't believe in a rapture. They believe in a general judgment. And listen, when I, they, don't, they don't preach the Holy Ghost. They don't believe in the eternal security of the believer. On and on I could go. And when I trusted Jesus Christ... All I knew is I was a sinner and he was a savior. When I got saved, I didn't understand. I didn't know there wasn't. A, I, I didn't know there was a rapture. I didn't understand the Holy Ghost. You talked about the process, preacher. I didn't know the Holy Ghost had moved in. After being saved, Brother Aaron, about a month, and I know I'm in Michigan and y'all are more reserved and that's fine, but I'm a southerner and we get excited. You say, do you get it? If I'm watching a Cubs game, I was in Grenada preaching a pastor's conference when the Cubs won. I, we about lost it and we come back. And one, I, I was I was almost as excited then as I am now. But I jumped up and shouted and said, "Yes, finally we got over it." Never mind. But I'm saying I believe in getting excited. But listen to me. It was a month or better after getting saved that I learned that I couldn't lose it. That I learned that that it was all Him. That I learned that. I'm going to mess up, but he's never going to let go. Man, I had, a, I had a time with that. You mean, it didn't cause me to want to go live loose. It didn't cause me to want to go do what I wanted to do. It caused me to want to love him more and serve him more. And I've been trying to do that every day of my life. Let's not be afraid of giving Christians doctrine. Doctrine won't cause you to live loose. It'll cause you to do right. 
Amen. And I'm saying, listen, we, we're not going to win them by arguing this and arguing that, but I'm going to tell you what will work, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had people witness to me over the years, call me a Campbellite, tell me I was going to hell, da da da, da. They never had any impact on me. But it was two girls, two Southern Baptist girls that sat by me my senior year of high school that just simply kept giving me the gospel. And I couldn't get away from it. The gospel will get the job done. Jesus will take care of the rest, amen, and a pastor and a church. So Luke, he, he, he says, there's the message. The third time he shows up in Mark, in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He gives them the multitude. Who do we take this message to? Everybody. We take it to those that we think deserve it. We take it to those that we don't think deserve it because at the end of the day, none of us deserve it. We take it to everybody. We take it to the poor house. We take it to the mission house. And we take it to the white house and the mansion. The gospel doesn't change for the rich and for the poor. It doesn't change for the drunk on the street or the doctor in the doctor's office. It doesn't change the change for the lewd person on the road to the lawyer that's in his office. The gospel works for everybody. And that's the message we take. We take the same message to every country. There's not one message for America and another for Russia and another for Papua New Guinea and another. No, the gospel works everywhere. And it works the same. He said, here's your message. Who's responsible to fill the Great Commission? We are. The fourth time he showed up chronologically is Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, he meets him and we've already read the verses and he says to them, he gives them the method, and we're going to look at that real quickly in a minute. But then the fifth time he shows, the method is this. How do I as an individual fulfill the Great Commission and win the world? How do I do that? We're going to look at that really quick. But the fifth time he shows up is Acts chapter number 1. They have traveled, if you study it, they travel back to Jerusalem. Then they leave Jerusalem. They go to the Mount of Ascension. And what's he do then? Christ said you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. And then he didn't say then Judea. He said in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. How am I supposed to win Jerusalem all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth as one individual that's never left my state? I meet people that's never left their state, never left their county. How do I do that? How do I give the gospel to the world? Well, in Matthew 28, I told you he gives the method. Acts 1 is the model, and I don't have time. We see a mission, we see a method, we see a model. Now, let me say this, because I'm not going to get to it tonight. I've heard so many statements on the book of Acts. I understand it is a transitional book, but the truth in there is no less truth. Would we agree to that? Here's the model. If the mission is right and the method is right, should the model not look the same? So many preachers and churches and Christians and, well, you know, we can't, we can't see the church do now like it did in Acts because it's just that was a transition period. That was a wooden bridge between two solid foundations. Well, my Bible said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. Okay, now, I understand the transitory nature of Acts. Please understand, I, I do get that. But if the mission is the same and the method's the same, the model ought to look the same. And if the model now in 2023 doesn't look like it did in Acts, my my consideration for you is either the mission's wrong or the method's wrong. Somewhere we've gotten off on the mission or the method because if the mission was the same as Christ and the method was the same as Christ, then the model ought to look the same. And in the book of Acts, they were winning people, the church was growing, things were alive, and, and, and so forth. Now look in Matthew 28, and here's the four-step method. And now give me five minutes and I'm going to stop. I think 7.30... And I will, uh, I've, I've had a lot of commercials tonight, so I won't have them hopefully the other nights of the week. And I will do my best to keep the messages short, have you out by eight, if not before, as the pastor's requested. By the way, I love preaching on missions as a pastor is one of my favorite subjects to preach on. I absolutely love it. 
Matthew 28, we see the method. Look at the method. Well, before I get the method, notice the motivation. Did you notice in verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. When he said all power, what did he mean? Greek, English, I don't care what, all means all. Okay? Why did he say that right before verse 19, go ye therefore? When you see a therefore or a wherefore, stop and see what it's there for. So the going is contingent on what he said in verse 18. Why do I go? Because all power has been given unto him. You know what that's saying? And I can prove it. When I go witness, when I tell, when I'm involved in the Great Commission, I have no more of the power of God on my life in me at that moment than I will any other time in my life. Look at the end of Matthew 28. Lo, I am with you always, even unto thee. Didn't he just say in Acts 1, we're to go to the ends of the earth? And then said, I'm with you. Do you think maybe he's making a correlation there? I don't want to be loud where God is silent, but I, I think that he's pretty clear on this statement and in this purpose that if I go and tell someone, whether I'm, if I'm winning the world, if I'm fulfilling the Great Commission, that all that power, Jesus, well, preacher, you don't understand. I don't have the personality. I don't have the finances. I can't give like someone else. I can't go like someone else. I can't be a soul winner like someone else. I'm not dependent upon how good I am or how much I know. My work within the great commission and obeying it hey listen it's based on one thing God said when I obey it all that power that he has is with me always every time I do it what a promise I've had some prayer times that were pretty glorious I've had some time studying my Bible that I've wept and cried and said God thank you for showing me that but according to this verse, you'll have no more power of God on your life than when you are fulfilling the Great Commission. All power is given to me. And what he is saying is, if it's given to me and you'll go, I'm going to give it to you. Church, we don't have to run 5,000 to fulfill the Great Commission. We don't have to have a big job to fulfill the Great Commission. We don't have to know the whole Bible to fulfill it. We just have to be willing to obey it. Just obey it. Now, he said, go. That word go, now we're in a missions conference, and so immediately we think, yeah, that's for Brother Wilson starting Camp Kobiak, or not, not starting it, but running camp. That's for you, Brother Trevor, going to all the countries. That's for the missionary going to Philippines or Cambodia or, or, or Australia or wherever. No, no, no. That word go means while you're going. That's what it means. While, it's not talking about going to Africa. It's talking about while I live my life. I'm doing what is necessary to fulfill the Great Commission. It means I'm telling people. It means I'm giving to get someone else somewhere else to tell people. Do you realize you could win the world if you would just obey the Great Commission? Oh, you won't, not everyone will get saved, but you can at least get the gospel to everybody. There is 7,300 something unreached people groups in this world today. There's around 15,000 independent Baptist churches. If just half the independent Baptist churches would follow the Great Commission the way God said, according to statistics, in less than 15 years, we could give the gospel to over 8 billion people. This ain't undo this, this is This is very doable, folks. We just got to obey. God didn't set it up for us to just try or take a stab at it. He wanted us to fulfill it. That's why I get excited. God's give us a way to at least give the gospel to the world. So we're to go. And then he said, when? He said, teach all nations. Now that's not discipleship. I believe in discipleship. We had the strong discipleship in my church, but this isn't discipleship. Teach all nations. Nations there is used in a general sense of lost people. And the reason I know that's not discipleship is because the next, the next word is baptize. You got to get saved before you get baptized. So that's, this is salvation. What are we supposed to do with the gospel? We're supposed to teach sinners. The gospel. Not six-month course from Genesis to Revelation and hope they get enough of the Bible to get saved. 
We're to give them the gospel. Teach them that they're a sinner. That because of their sin, they're gonna, that, that there's a penalty, there's a consequence. The wages of sin is death. Teach them that God took that penalty by Christ on the cross. And that if we will believe and receive, God will teach them the gospel. We don't argue, we don't debate, we teach them the gospel. Teach all nations. But it doesn't end there. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Ghost. We're to go, we're to win, we're to baptize. Now, I don't mean you're the one to get in the baptistry. I mean you're to stick with that person till they get baptized. By the way, every mission philosophy, every missionary that goes to America, to another state, or to another country, right here's the method. How do, we, how do we win Russia? How do we win Ukraine? How do we win Papua New Guinea? How do we win Cambodia, Africa? The gospel. Go, win, baptize. Stay with them till they get baptized. Baptism doesn't save you, but it is the outward obedience of an, inner, an outward showing of an inward obedience. It's showing people I've trusted Christ. And then he said, here it is and I'm done. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all way, even unto the end of the world. Here's the fresh look at that great commission. For years, as a young preacher and Christian, I looked at that and I said, right there's discipleship, brother Aaron. Right there's where I'm to spend the rest of their life teaching them. Wait a minute. What had he been teaching them for the last 40 days? Go, win. As I, Father sent me, so send I you. For the last 40 days, what he had been teaching them was how to win someone else. I am a proponent for discipleship, but I'm telling you the Great Commission is not talking, that verse right there is not talking about discipleship. It's talking about teaching someone else, for teaching them to do for someone else what's been done for them, how to win someone else to Jesus Christ. If every missionary, if every church, if every Christian would just follow the command and win people and then get them saved and then stay with them till they get baptized and then teach them the gospel, tell them how to win someone else, we could win the world. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of hearing all 30 plus years in full-time ministry, every year I hear the same thing. Half the world's never heard a true presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It breaks my heart. There's people going to hell at two people every three seconds. You do the math. It's it's heart-rending. We have the answer. The answer is the Great Commission. What you're doing this week is honoring God and I believe pleasing God. Go, win, baptize, and then teach, teach them to, hey, look, I get someone saved, I try to take them soul winning immediately. Now, preacher, why did you make this personal? Here's why I made it personal for us. If it becomes personal and you get committed to personally fulfilling the Great Commission, what you're committed to, your wallet will be committed to. Your time will be committed to. Your energy will be committed to. Your thoughts will be committed to. Your energy, everything will be committed if you're committed. But if all missions is, is throw some money in a plate. You're missing the bigger picture. We are responsible to win the world. How good of a job are we doing? I want to do better. I don't want to just take a stab at it. I just want to obey God. Let's bow our heads. Father.